All right, welcome to the Rojas Report. We have a very special guest today, and that is uh, Lou Elizondo, uh, the former head of the Pentagon Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. I almost said Ariel. For some reason, I feel Ariel has a ring to it. Uh, I mess that up a lot. In fact, uh, you may remember one time I mentioned that in one of our uh, former detractors uh, thought that somehow I it was some sort of official comment when it's not, but it is aerospace, right? It is, Alejandro. Thank you very much for having me. I certainly appreciate it. Big thank you to your viewers mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, my pleasure. So a uh, great job on the show Unidentified. Of course, it was on, we had what the fifth episode that we're at on an eight episode series. So three more to go. Um, and I guess what I wanna do is kind of talk about the past the, the present and a little bit about the future as well. And getting into the past, when my interview with Chris Mellon, um, you know, he kind of shaped up how you and he had a strategy coming into this to take this package of essentially very credible information um, and to push that forward along with using the media um, unidentified as a vehicle to get this out there, to get the government to respond um, Luckily, the Navy did, and then used that as a vehicle to demonstrate to the Senate, you know, that this is a real deal, and to get them to also start inquiries, all of which has happened on breakneck speed. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, I think social engagement here is is key, and you know the power, of, probably more than anybody, of social media. Um, this is really a, a grassroots effort. You know, you said something interesting about the past, the present, and the future. And I'm a firm believer that in order to, to know where you are today, you have to know where you've been. And in order to know where you're going, you need to know where you are now. So um, I, I do think um, it's important that we continue to build upon um, the initiatives and the momentum that we've already gained on this topic, this very important topic that has until re recently, and, and quite frankly, been relegated to to discussions that are that are on the fringe. Um, and I think it's mm -hmm. it's incredible to see that this this conversation is being elevated now to where to it to where it should be elevated to, right? As a very serious topic, a very serious conversation uh, that involves all of us, all of us equally and yet differently, right? We all live on this planet together. We all live on this rock together. Uh, you know, no one gets off, gets off alive, so to speak. So we're all stuck on this ball. Uh, so this topic affects us equally, but yet differently, because depending on our, our social backgrounds and philosophical backgrounds and theological leanings, you know, it, it, it's going to mean something different to, to, to everybody. Um, the, the person sitting in Congress receiving a briefing uh, that's maybe assigned to the sissy is going to look at this topic fundamentally different than, let's say, an academic or a scientist or a philosopher or or just, you know, average Jane and Joe sitting around the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And when you say sissy, you mean the, the Senate Select uh, Committee on Intelligence? That's correct. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, the committee responsible for, uh, if you will, the, the watchdog agency for Congress that oversees the entire intelligence community writ large. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it does also kind of explain for people early on, uh, once you guys had launched to the stars, there was some criticism that people didn't see a lot of movement um, going on publicly. However, um, uh, as we've seen in the background, you guys were hustling, you guys were moving this football forward. 
at that level with uh, military leadership, uh, people at the Hill, of course, which we saw on unidentified. So, I mean, it seems as though a lot of your time at that point was taken up with with this, um, getting that information out there, which is what you wanted to do in the first place while you were in the government. Sure, I think public engagement is critical here, but you know, and thank you for giving us credit for that. But to be honest with you, that credit has to be shared with everybody. When I say everybody, I mean, mean folks like you, I mean your audience and your viewers, because if there wasn't an interest in this topic and uh, a, a desire to take this topic and, and look at it the way I believe it deserves to be looked at, then we, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, we wouldn't have made it past the first few months when, we, when TTSA got together and, and started engaging the public. So this has really been a team effort. The success that you're seeing now is not a one-sided success. It's not just because of us. And yes, to some degree, we also have to give credit to some of the skeptics out there because skeptics are trying to engage this topic very much like other people, right? So you have believers on one side, then you have non-believers on the other side, and then you have the vast majority kind of in the middle that really don't know what to think uh, about what, about this topic. Um, and so I think in order to, to have a productive conversation about this topic, we need everybody in the boat with us, everybody. Um, and it's okay if, if people are skeptics. I think I've said before, for the record, I think healthy skepticism is important. As long as you don't allow your own personal bias to overshadow that, um, that objectivity, right? And then, then I think it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask why and who and where, uh, these are fundamental attributes of being human. So, um, uh, anyways, I, I guess my point to all this is, you know, thank you humbly for, for giving us some of the credit to that. Um, but really, I think credit needs to go where credit is due. And, and that's really, this is, a, this is an awfully big ship we're on. There's a lot of people that are part of it. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to get different perspectives. Mm -hmm. That's really cool to hear, too, about your embracing skepticism and skeptics. Because I agree, I like to be challenged. Um, in order to make sure that you, you're looking at all angles. And I think that uh, it's frustrated some in the UFO community that you guys, that you all give attention to skeptics, but at the same time, I, people like me appreciate it because uh, it means you're open to constructive criticism. Yeah, and, and you see it even on the television show, the History Channel's unidentified inside America's UFO investigation. You see that we, we actually have skeptics actively on the program because we're trying to get all sides, all perspectives on this topic. It's, you know, we're not trying to go out and convince the public of a preconceived narrative we already have. We, we are truly trying to walk hand in hand with the audience and have a conversation about this, this incredible enigma that is now recently finally been acknowledged as being one a reality right uh but two something that that probably deems uh, additional research and insight and i think skeptics play an important role here you know i don't mind being a uh, there's a different difference between being skeptical and being a skeptic by nature if you are skeptical that's okay you are applying i think reason and objectivity to look at a topic but if you are a skeptic by nature, that means then you kind of automatically reject any type of new data that's presented before you. So uh, there's a fine line between being skeptical and being a skeptic. Um, I, I tend to shy away from skeptics in particular because I'm not sure they're very objective, right? It's just like a true believer, no matter what 
you tell mm -hmm. them it's going to be hard for them to pivot from their narrative. So, so really our focus has been that, that whole majority in the middle there that really haven't had uh, the luxury to, to really even think about the topic because they're, they're busy with distractions such as, you know, real, by the way, real distractions such as, you know, this awful pandemic uh, that's afflicting the world, COVID-19. You also have political issues. You have civil unrest. You've got a lot of a lot of things going on in the world right now that are demanding a tremendous amount of bandwidth from from people. And so this is yet just another topic. And I think if this was any other time in our history, you might see more people talking about it. But there's so much right now on the dinner plate that I think this topic can sometimes get a little bit lost and, and it's understandable. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now, another thing that Chris Mellon had mentioned with me uh, and I wrote up in that Den of Geek article about unidentified is one tool that uh, one way that unidentified is being used and is that you're able to highlight cases. In other words, to demonstrate that, hey, uh, now that the uh, sissy, as you call them, uh, is asking for these reports, we know there's a lot out there that better be in those reports that you can't kind of uh, like a term that I used in one of my articles, gaslight us and pretend like this, there's not much there. We know there's a lot there. Um, are you hopeful that they will, uh, you know, be open with the public as they should? I, I am hopeful. I think that at least the people that I, I know on those committees are are honest individuals or patriots. They, they've been serving the American public for years, if not decades. Um, you know, they're, they're not there to obfuscate. They're not there to hide information. Now, there is an element of, of, of politics that is always prevalent because you're talking about an organization by nature that is full of politicians. Right. But politicians are only going to do as much as they feel that their constituency, the people that they represent, will allow them to do. Because remember, they, their job is to eventually you know, do what they do and then get reelected, right? Otherwise, they're not very effective mm -hmm. if they don't get reelected. So, so reelection is very important for them. And I think if the American public and their constituency tells them, look, it's okay to look at this, right? I mean, I, I can get on social media now and I see comments where saying, you know, uh, it, just in a recent interview I did, you know, some of the comments coming in said, why are you wasting time and money and our attention on this dumb topic? You know, let's get back to, let's get back to what's important, right? Um, that's not helpful because uh, if, if, as long as you have that mentality and you're beating up our elected officials for even looking at this, then, you know, we're going to be back to where we were even 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. So I think as long as we encourage our leadership, letting them know it's okay to do this, Senator Harry Reid was an absolute maverick in that regard, didn't give a crap about what anybody thought. Uh, and he just did it, right? Him and Stevens and Inouye and, you know, John, Senator John Glenn. Uh, these are our, our, our incredible patriots for our country. Now, whether politics aside, I don't care if you're conservative or liberal or independent or whatever. The bottom line is these people put their 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 political careers on the line to do what they felt was right for the American people. And I think that is exactly the type of people like Mar Senator Marco Rubio. Uh, this is a, an individual, he and I both attended University of Miami uh, way back when. Um, he's obviously, he's weathered much better than I have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is this is an individual who who's coming up for re-election and he's willing to take on a, a, a topic like this um, that's fraught with potential political landmines. Um, I think I think we're seeing a shift 
And I think history will look back and, and ultimately remember these individuals very fondly. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, one of the topics that was brought up recently in the New York Times, and I know you, you've spoken about this a little bit uh, on uh, Fox News, and I've asked you about this a couple of times, is the topic of UFO crashes. And uh, the way the New York Times framed it is that a couple of you at TTSA, or at least a few, are convinced that this is a reality, that this is something that's happened. Um, first of all, is that framing accurate? And, uh, you know, is that topic kind of been raised uh, also as a check to for these reports that, hey, you know, if there is something out there on this topic, we want you all to share that information as well? So let me go back to, to your original statement about there's people that, you know, in our organization that are convinced. Um, and we've said this before, there's a fundamental difference between what someone believes, what someone thinks, and what someone knows, right? So I don't ever want to cross that barrier of what I think. In fact, a few times I've been pushed, you know, to a corner on this question, I've tried very diligently to deflect. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what Luis Elizondo thinks or believes. What matters is what, what the data shows. What do we have? Empirical data evidence that can speak for itself. Now, we know that this, this planet we live on Earth is visited by extraterrestrials all the time. Now, wait, before I go down that road, people say, oh, my God, Luis saying aliens. We have meteorites and we have, have, have debris from comets on a daily basis coming in, re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, getting caught in Earth's gravity coming in and, and plopping down here, sometimes in people's living rooms, believe it or not, right? So this is a, the universe is not static. Uh, it is dynamic. It is always changing. Things are always happening. Um, and so the question is, are the things, some of these things that are found here on this planet engineered? Are they, are they, let's go the step beyond. Is it possible that some of these things that have been found that we know are not from this planet, uh, are they natural? occurring things such as, you know, meteorites and whatnot, meteoroids, or are these something that had some sort of intelligence behind them, um, if you will, in their, in their, in their design and their function? Uh, so that's the question. And the bottom line is we're, we're still trying to answer that question. Uh, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm obviously deflecting your, your question here in, in, in the politest way mm -hmm. possible. Um, but I'm always very careful to to stipulate what I think. Look, the internet and social media is full of people espousing what they think. And at the end of the day, I think most Americans are probably tired about hearing what about what other people think. Let's try to focus on on the areas we don't know yet, and let's try to to provide information and data and evidence that can help us answer some of these questions. Um, and I think mm -hmm. only until we get more data would I be more comfortable providing my, my thoughts? Uh, I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to prejudice the jury, if that makes sense. Remember, my job is very simple. Collect the truth, speak the truth. doesn't matter at the end of the day what the hell Lou Elizondo thinks or believes. What matters is what the data shows. So by collecting this mm -hmm. information and presenting it before you, you're the jury. What matters is what you think, not me. It's, it's you. It's really all about you guys. That's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide you the evidence at the end of the day, say, you know, here's the evidence. Here's what, what the, the science is, is telling us over to you. Mm -hmm. No, I, I appreciate the answer and I, and I'm happy to give you uh, the opportunity to answer more fully because typically, you know, 
you've got a second tip for a soundbite and those can get interpreted in many different ways. So it's great to hear uh, a clarification. And then one last question on this topic, just uh, Davis had brought up at least uh, Roswell and, and I think the Aztec case are, there's a couple of cases he believes there are some weight to that there may be something to them. I'll put it that way. Are there, uh, as far as you know, um, are there stronger cases are there some cases out there that are strong um, in your mind or have you looked into those yeah. really deeply? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's face it. You know, it's, it's like doing a, a criminal investigation. You know, there's a reason why sometimes hearsay isn't even admissible in court because it's, he said, she said, right. Then you get, mm -hmm. you know, secondhand account. I know this occurred because uh, X, Y, and Z. Then you have a firsthand account, right? An eyewitness. I, del I actually saw the car accident myself. This car was traveling this direction. This one was traveling this direction and they had an accident, right? And then you have, so there's different levels of, of, of if you will, information that, that's more and more credible. Ultimately, can you imagine, you know, it, it, let's say you're at a, a traffic court and someone says, yes, I actually saw this white car Toyota hit this red car Chevy. Uh, in fact, uh, it was the, it was a Toyota that was going uh, doing excessive speed. Uh, in fact, here is the radar return from uh, the the police officer who just radared them two blocks before. They were doing ten miles an hour over the speed limit. By the way, here is the crash report. Here is a piece of the fender that came off of the Toyota, and you can see based upon the forces and and the impact, you know, it deformed the front bumper to this amount of degrees, and so. That's really what we're trying to do here. We're trying to, to build a case based upon the very best evidence we have available to us at the time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, it does. And uh, getting into unidentified, moving on to another topic, uh, another, and you had mentioned skeptics. Um, and another, you, you all tackled a couple topics in the latest unidentified in that there are other reasons than the search for aliens that you want to look at unidentified. In fact, Adam Kehoe wrote a great article kind of outlining this based on that episode. In that, um, and I've seen this and written about this in the past, it seems that when something gets labeled a UFO, there's a blind spot when it comes to the military and they, they won't look at those cases. And some of those cases could demonstrate that there are advanced technologies that some of our adversaries have developed yet we're hands off because of the taboo. So it seems like, you know, something that is getting missed is that uh, it's, it's great and it's sexy to talk about aliens, but there are other important reasons why UAPs need to be taken seriously and looked at, um, you know, carefully. Right. You know, we've always realized the, the dual use nature of technology. Let's look at the, the, the microwave oven that most people now have in their, in their kitchen settings uh, and quite frankly, we take for granted. Um, the microwave oven was really invented as a result of military technology, radar technology. And people realized, particularly some soldiers in the field, that when they had deployed a, a radar unit, a field radar unit, to detect then Soviet aircraft, uh, they could put their, their meal right behind the, ra the, the radar dish and it would warm up the, their food, right? And of course, now we have, have, have microwave ovens. Uh, that's why they used to be called a radar range, actually, from the beginning, uh, from my understanding. That's where the, the microwave was actually called a radar range because it was using radar waves initially. 
so it's not surprising that if you know you develop a capability to to detect uh, uh, you, you're building this capability to look at UFOs or UAPs, right? Building hypersonic velocities, instantaneous acceleration. Well, there are some rational reasons why you'd want to continue to develop this technology. Forget about the, the UFOs entirely. Let's just look at the fact that that uh, you know you have now Russia and some of our uh, foreign adversaries developing hypersonic cruise missiles, right? New technology that in some 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 way mimics to some degree some of the observables. So if you're looking for a UFO or a UAP traveling at hypersonic velocities, well, intercontinental ballistic missiles travel at that speed, right? Hypersonic glide vehicles. There's all sorts of, of different things out there that that um, could 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 mimic that that behavior. Uh, there are missiles that that are, are extremely maneuverable, surface-to-air missiles that uh, appear to have this almost a sudden and instantaneous uh, uh, character characteristic of acceleration. Um, so I guess my point is that there's that this isn't a one-trick pony. You know, if you spend taxpayer dollars trying to identify UAP, there's a really good chance that you may be able to track other things as well. And by the way, in air safety, we saw in one of the episodes, this is not just relegated to military aircraft. There are indeed civilian aircraft that are coming up close and personal to these things, where you've got you know 250 people in the back of the plane drinking cocktails that are completely unaware. Uh, that is a flight safety issue. I don't want myself or my family in an airplane if I don't have complete air domain awareness of what's around me. If the pilot does not know what's above him, below him, or her, uh, or to their to their sides, that's a problem for me. And so, if there's technology mm-hmm. out there that we can develop that can assist in some of those areas, I think it's worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. Another topic that you brought up that I think is really important, and and of course I've shared my uh, research with you on on this uh, gentleman, Richard Doty, who claims to have put out some disinformation on this topic. And then you all had Bill Chalker uh, talking about how he had also heard that there were programs like this. It seems important in order to, you know, tell the signal from the noise, essentially, that we need to pay attention to that possibility and what information out there could have been, um, you know, used to cover up uh, other black projects and, and uh, that it's a topic we need to be cognizant of. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not uncommon that if, you know, you have a, a super secret aircraft you're trying to, to keep from the, from public knowledge, all of a sudden it crashes during a test crash. You know, is it that uncommon to go and, and put pieces of an airplane or a, even a car at the wreck site to try to confuse somebody? So maybe they don't know, what type of aircraft you're testing or what type of technology, right? If you will seed the area. So you don't know the difference between, you know, a piece of an aileron to some super secret aircraft and uh, a bolt from a 1966 Chevy, right? It's all together. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, there's reasons why, why you want to, to um, confuse people sometimes if you're dealing with, and, and this is, by the way, I'm not talking about extra, I'm talking, terrestrial technology, advanced terrestrial right. technology, right? We don't, you don't even have to talk about UAPs. We can just talk about, you know, real world secret technology working on now. Um, because we've only got about 10 minutes left, uh, we'll move on to some other topics as well. So uh, I wrote an article recently that kind of outlining the Department of Defense's responses ever since you came out, um, essentially with your claims 
your claims fortunately backed up by some of your uh, coworkers and colleagues, such as Harry Reid, uh, the senator who helped fund and start the program, you know, a couple of the contractors like Drs. Hal Putoff and, and Eric Davis, which in my mind, and I think in, in many people's minds, including the New York Times and Politico, really solidified uh, the credibility to some of your statements. However, regardless of all of kind of this backing that you had from firsthand witnesses, uh, the DOD has kind of countered many of your claims and, and your colleague claims, Harry Reid's as well, uh, which has been very odd, especially when you put them all together. I felt like when I read that article that they just kept backtracking, changing their story, um, seemingly just for some reason, just dead set against, you know, accepting or, or wanting to verify many of the statements that you had made. And even, you know, claiming that you had nothing to do with ATIP, which is, it just seems really odd uh, that they had been doing that. Do you have any idea why? You know, I, I think that's a question you probably want to ask the department. When you look at this so far in the last three years, they've changed their position literally seven times already, and they continue to change it and evolve it every day. Um, I have some some speculation why this may be, but also every time they change their position, eventually they come back around to admitting. You know, but let's let's not forget it. Initially, it was it, it, it ATIP didn't exist. Then it was okay. ATIP existed, but it didn't look at UFOs. Oh, well, actually, ATIP did look at UFOs, but didn't find anything. Oh, except for that there were these dirts that came out. Well, it was defunct. Well, it, you know, and, and this, this constant backpedaling, uh, and it's only really by a few. There are individuals, and there's documentation out there that will come to light. For me, it's not a race. I don't really give a damn what people think about me. What's going to happen is that all this is going to come out either way, and there's going to be some people that are going to have to answer some very difficult questions in the U.S. government. Fortunately, we're talking about a small minority of people. Um, unfortunately, I think they've done a disservice to the department because the department will have to come back again, just like with the videos and say, yeah, they're real videos, they're UFOs and everything else. Um, you know, I, I, I can't help them. You know, I've, I've tried my yeah. best. There's individuals that are still part of the program that were associated with ATIP that are not part of the task force. Uh, we have reached a critical mass. Uh, you're correct. The senator and many, many, many others know exactly who I am and what I was doing. But at the end of the day, Alejandro, it's not about me. You know, I'm not going to, I could have three years ago ended this conversation very quickly. And there's some documentation out there that would have made, just shut this conversation down. But at the same time, it probably, we wouldn't be where we are today with this new task force. They probably would have retracted back into their shell and say, okay, we don't want anything more to do with this. You know, just pay this mm -hmm. guy, shut him up and, and let's move on to something else. I think we're only here right now because there's been, been some on our part anyway some patience allowing the department to try to figure out uh, a a position that they can take without you know safe face without looking like in, like in, like they're incompetent uh, which by the way i'm not saying they are because some, they, they right. do their job very right. well in other areas uh, you know and and being able to brief leadership uh about the reality and the nature of this this effort um you know my only warning would be to those who are in the department who still think that they can obfuscate uh you know your time is coming uh, i i don't know what to tell you it's at some point here the american you're going to be on on one side of history you're either going to be on the right side or the wrong side that's it and i would ask you to choose very wisely what side of history you want to be on well and 
you know, I know you say it's not about you, but I would imagine because it's been a lot of their comments have been focused on you, such as saying that you never were involved with ATIP or those type of things. Uh, it had to have an effect, though. I mean, it had to have an effect on your life and your um, credibility and perhaps even some of your professional relationships. Well, of course. I mean, anybody who's served in national security and, and, and served their country, last thing, wants to, last thing they want to do is be in a situation now people are questioning their credibility, you know, their service, their intentions, their loyalty. I mean, it's, it is very difficult. But I also know that the mission is much greater than me. I mean, everything mm -hmm. I've ever said for the record has always come to fruition. So either I'm telling the truth or I'm the greatest psychic the world has ever seen today and, and I'm in the wrong business. So uh, right. I think people are smarter than that. I think people realize that when you when you look at all the data here and you say, okay, this is what has been said and this is what has occurred versus what the other side has said and not done or vice versa. Um, I think it's pretty clear. Um, I, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time defending myself because, quite frankly, the facts are there and, and, and they defend me for me. Mm -hmm. um, there are some individuals uh, in the journalistic world who I, unfortunately, I don't think the American public is, is, is savvy enough to recognize that they're not real journalists. And so they put out these hit pieces uh, without any real data and information. And of course, they're never held accountable, even though years later, months later, new information comes to light saying, oh, okay, this, this actually was the real case. Those reporters will never go back on, on what they wrote and say, oh, hey, we're sorry, we were wrong, I was inaccurate, you know. Um, and, and that's a shame because I think the, the world of journalism today is not what it used to be even 10 years ago. There's no accountability. Anybody can be a journalist at this point and say whatever the heck they want to be, say whatever the heck they want to say, and there's no accountability, right? Um, I can say I'm a journalist, I want to be a journalist, and therefore now I'm an investigative journalist, but not really, you know. Just because I, I, I wear a badge doesn't necessarily mean I'm a police officer, right? I can, I can buy a badge at any pawn shop and stick it on me, but it doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean I'm a law enforcement officer. If they continue along these lines uh, of, you know, putting out information that seems obviously contrary to the facts that are out there that you all have shared and established, do you have recourse or are you considering any sort of further recourse? Yeah, I always have recourse, uh, Alejandro. I mean, I'm, I've spent a career looking at, at second and third order cause and effects. So, um, you know, people's patience only lasts for so long. Um, but I, I still am a firm believer that we need to try to do things the right way and the least intrusive way. Um, I'd rather entice somebody with a carrot than a stick, you know, like I say, a honey, mm -hmm. honey attracts more, more than uh, vinegar. So, uh, more flies. So, uh, yes, I have recourse and, you know, I always have some options available to me. Um, but I'm not sure we're at that point yet. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe we are, you know, it, it, it depends on what the department does or says within the next few weeks or months. Uh, balls in their court, really. Mm -hmm. And I guess a stick would be legal recourse, potentially. Sure. I mean, that's an option, right? I mean, and if mm -hmm. you can go legal recourse, what happens? Well, everything, everything's put on the table. <laughs> and I'm sure mm -hmm. there's, there's going to be some people really, really uncomfortable uh, should, that, uh, should that have to happen. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. again, I, well, I don't want to go too far down the road. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just going to say the fortunate thing that I think your patience early on uh, made people question, you know, why isn't he fighting for himself? However, I think it's borne out that your patience actually uh, played well and now has really demonstrated your credibility um, and has helped in the long run uh, to see that. Hey, he was just being patient, you know, letting the facts uh, all demonstrate that that uh, it, it will all work out. And it did. I mean, for the most part, I mean, you've been vindicated. I mean, for you left because they weren't taking the topic seriously enough in the Pentagon. Uh, you demonstrated, you and Chris in the group have demonstrated it was a real issue. And you've proven that the American people and the Senate should have given been given this information, wanted this information, and that uh, they are now saying, hey, we need more. You know, and on August 4th, you had the Deputy Secretary of Defense authorize under his authorities the establishment of this task force. This is precisely what we have been trying to achieve uh, when I was an ATIP. Finally getting somebody in a, in a senior level position to, to accept this responsibility and fund it properly and give it the teeth it needs to, to do what it needs to do, right? So uh, it took three years. Um, I, I, I'm not sure had we have uh, used a different strategy, we would be here, but we've come a long way in just three years, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I do. I think that strategy has, uh, up till now, has, has proven very effective, right? Rather than confronting the department head on, uh, maybe what we can do is help them, right? Come to a better conclusion. Mm -hmm. We're pretty much out of time. I know you've got to leave. Uh, just one last yes or no question. And perhaps if you allow, maybe I'll email you some more questions. Uh, there was at least a couple that came up in the, the chat. But um, this current UAP task force, although they, Susan Goh's uh, press release said that it was started on August 4th, it appears as though because, you know, it's Navy related, uh, it's it stems from the, the you used to work on, that this is the group that was the extension of ATIP that continued on that you've been talking about over the years. Is that correct? Um, Not as simple as a yes or no answer. <laughs> there are, I, I think you're on the right track. Uh, I'll, I'll okay. just say that. I don't want to answer on behalf of the department. Again, I want to give them some time okay. to, to figure out the, the answer they want to give. Um, but I think it's, it's abundantly clear at this point that uh, a lot of the elements that were involved in the ATIP program are part of this current effort. Now, is that mm -hmm. by coincidence or is that by design? You tell me. Right. And yeah, I, I found it surprising when I put together my article just how closely your uh, comments and descriptions of this organization and theirs uh, meld in that, you know, talks about same department, same players, all of that. So I found that really interesting and incredible for supporting your, your stance. But uh, we are out of time. It's 1035. So I think you've got to run. But uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, congratulations on a great show. And congratulations on, I can't imagine a better, better vindication in that, you know, now the Senate is asking questions. There's this new task force. Uh, I think people are just floored at this point. Well, I, I appreciate Alejandro, but really, again, this has been a team effort. Uh, everybody is part of TTSA, and of course, uh, folks like you that are just uh, relentless in finding the truth. 
and getting the, that information out uh, has been incredibly useful. Uh, there are people now in Congress that are paying attention. They're watching social media. There, there are a couple people now in the in the Twitter sphere, so to speak, uh, that you know seem to have a pretty good understanding of of what's at stake here. And I think they'd be surprised to know that there's people in very high levels of government that are actually following some of what they have to post. So this has been a group mm -hmm. effort. It's been a sincere honor and pleasure as always uh, to, to be with you. Um, and, you know, thank you for, for all that you do as well and, and your listeners and those uh, individuals that are, that are uh, supporting you and, and people like you. I think, um, you know, I think the times are changing. I think the times are changing and I think, uh, you know, uh, we're entering potentially a, a new era of understanding. Well, thank you very much. Um, and of course, thank you from all of us on your work on all of this. But uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Honor and a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So thank you to Lou so much for joining us. Uh, it was uh, really helpful to, to be able to talk to him about all of this. And what I will do, like he said, he'll answer more questions via email. So send me emails uh, if you have other questions. Uh, I'll take these questions in the chat and I'll put those into an email and then I'll put together a Q&A because I actually had a couple more too. So uh, otherwise, for those of you who are watching now, just so you know how this works is that uh, if you are a Patreon member, this video won't be able to be viewable except for those who are in the memberships for YouTube. And I'll post a new video for all of you in Patreon who are members so you can watch it as well. And of course, if you go to openminds.tv, you can see all these articles that we talked about, and you can see links to all of these interviews that we've got going on. So thank you all so much for joining. Uh, and until next time, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys.